Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and happy holidays. We are so pleased to be with you on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, a nationally known gerontologist, the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and she is here with us to not only celebrate the holidays, but to bring us great information about very interesting stuff. Thank nice you very you. much. Yeah, nice to be here. We're, we're, we're winding down. We're getting very close. Now we're going to talk about our feet Coming up in a few minutes with Dr. Ashley Blackman, who is a podiatrist. I know, you know, it. It's probably not something you'd think. Wow, I'd like to go learn more about feet. But she's fascinating, right? I mean, it's an she important. Is. It's an important topic, and you know, the holidays and the toys on the ground and all that good Ooh. stuff. If you're with, going to be around any little ones or or holly berries or whatever. You know, you could. You don't want to step on anything. I don't want to steal or spiel, but don't step on anything. Ask me what it feels like to step on a Lego. Yes, hurts. Hurts. They're everywhere. They, yes, they in are. our house. Uh, yeah, and apparently those little tiny dolls with all those little tiny doll accessories are the also LOL killers. Dolls. Oh, yeah. LOL killers. Yes, you, you know about them. Oh, believe me, I know about them. Yeah, ten dollars for a ball of LOL stuff. Stuff, right? The surprise thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there you are. Tell me about helping a loved one with dementia at the holidays because it is a different time of year. Well, you know, I really appreciated Next Avenue. Um, featuring this article because, you know, I think that there is a there's a little bit of feeling of, um, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, mother has Alzheimer's, dad has Alzheimer's, somebody's going to do something strange, or what do we do with them? Uh, and I know in my own family with my mother with Alzheimer's, because she, her verbal skills were really the first thing that she lost, she couldn't sit down and have a conversation with anybody. And so making plans to create a space uh, and some activities for someone with dementia that's coming to your holiday gathering and also kind of letting people know uh, that strange things may happen and that's okay in advance is probably a good idea. You know, what they recommended is really, you know, what's something that person enjoyed? So for my mom, she really loved Christmas carols. She loved people getting on the piano and singing songs. And so for her, she could participate in that even if she was just sitting and listening. So maybe your loved one likes to dance. Maybe they like to sing. Maybe they want to help out in the kitchen. They could dry dishes, dry the silverware, because the silverware, if you drop it, it's not going to break. You know, uh, they could. You don't want to put anybody in there with hot liquids or, or maybe near the stove. But is there some other prep work they could do? Break the, you know, the celery stalks or the asparagus or something simple that they could help, depending on, you know, their skill level. So you can engage them in fun activities and you can engage them in helping activities, uh, just depending on their ability. And then they feel a part of it all. Well, and then they feel a part of it. And and you want to be careful. You don't want them to feel left out. So you don't want them back away from everybody else. So they have dementia. They're going to do something strange. Let's put them back in the corner. But you also don't want to sit them next to the granddaughter who jumps and jumps and jumps and jumps and jumps and is super hyperactive just because it's fun to be around the kids and they like 
used to like kids because uh, sometimes people with dementia have um, a certain tolerance for different too much activity. It's very hard to filter that out. And so you would want to be, you know, you got to be like the three bears. You kind of want to get it just right. Um, so you have to consider maybe having a, a lunch meal instead of a dinner meal with that person because people with Alzheimer's don't do as well in the evening. They get tired a little bit sundowner easier. Sundowner effect. The sundowner effect. Um you might want to interact um, with the with the caregiver. If you're not the caregiver, you know they're coming. Talk to their caregiver about what they like. Um, if you're seated with them, if you're going to be the one to sit with them, then um, you want to be the good listener. It may take them longer to respond to a question, and you don't want to correct them. doesn't matter what they say, really. I mean, it just doesn't matter. If they say something totally incorrect or they're talking about people who have died, fine. It's the holidays. You know, just go along with it, and you'll find that your holiday gathering will go a lot uh, better. And then also, you know, recognize that people with dementia communicate in different ways if they're hopping up from the table all of the time or they seem restless. Do they need to go to the bathroom? Are they getting tired, too much activity, and they're looking for a place to get away from everybody? So, you know, planning a place so they could maybe lay down, maybe have some quiet. What's the routine? If the, Whatever their routine is normally, people with dementia love a routine. They do better. Then you want to try to mirror that routine as much as possible in the holiday gathering. She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. And coming up in a couple of moments, we'll talk with Dr. Ashley Blackman, who is a podiatrist, what every caregiver should know about feet, especially when it comes to their care recipients' feet. Speaking of caregivers, there's a trend now across this country uh, to incorporate much more in the way of high-tech items into seniors' homes. Well, there are, and there, there are some misconceptions that seniors, well, stereotypes. that seniors don't use technology, and you were just telling me what before Well, Cora Duke, who co-hosts with me on uh, uh, WellMed Radio, said that uh, she finds more and more of her patients, she's a nurse practitioner, uh, are using uh, their iPhones to do FaceTime with their grandkids all over the country, and they have no problem accessing it and using it. And as Cora said, you know, any five-year-old can teach how to do that. It's not complicated. Yeah, the, even the FaceTime, I, you know, I'm not real, really tech-savvy, and I do like the FaceTime much easier than Skype. Yes, it is. accounts and set up and plan in advance. uh, I would agree with that. And we run senior centers. We find that we have Wi-Fi in our senior centers. So we find that about 65, 67% of our seniors have smartphones or some kind of smart device that they use, they can use in the senior center. Now that would changes if you're talking about an assisted living facility or a skilled nursing facility. But um, if you're somebody who likes technology, there's a lot out there on the market this during the holiday season. So some things to think about if you're looking at technology for your older loved one is, what is it that you're trying to, what's the problem you're trying to address? Is it to entertain them? Is it to make life easier? Is it to combine the five remotes into one remote? You know, what's the purpose um, of what you're doing? Uh, and then how easy is it to use? Do you just plug it in and it's ready? Does it require setup? You know, is it like building a bicycle? <laughs> <laughs> where there's a lot of things. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that when you buy a computer, I'm under the impression that you should just plug it in. And yeah, actually, you, know, you have to way. load software right. and, and, I don't know, adjust 
screens and it's too much. I just want to plug it in. Um, you know, do you have to purchase it? Does it have other things you have to purchase with it? What are the accoutrements? And other monthly fees. Yeah, monthly fees is every recurring fees. Um, like if you were doing a Netflix account. Uh, so what does it cost? What are the equipment? What are the costs? And what goes with it? It's kind of like buying um, something that needs batteries. Are there batteries that you need to buy to go with that? Uh, and then very important with technology is what kind of support is there? So I know my great aunt Catherine um, was decided to get a grand pad, which is a computer that's like an iPad, but it's for people that need very limited choices when they're using their technology. And if you try to use it like a computer, you will go mad because it doesn't work like a computer. You can't open a file. It has different names for everything. So if you don't know anything, it's great. But if you know anything about computers, you might just really have a problem. Um, So the main question is, what kind of support does it provide? So when I can't figure out the easy-to-use GrandPad, then who can I call to tell Aunt Catherine how to use this particular device? Exactly. Yeah, and that goes with any device. Because we all know with Apple, you cannot just call Apple. There is no Apple call center. It is the single most amazing thing in my world. I cannot fathom a non-call center for something. You know, you have to make an appointment and go down to the Apple store. So are you buying somebody an iPad? If they can't figure it out like Catherine, then ooh, don't do it. <laughs> Just don't do it if there's not support that's easy to get to. Uh, unless they have a teenager around. Uh, well, and Kate, so, so what kind of support comes with it if it's not working right? Or what access do they have to young people exactly. who know how to use technology? So just a few things to think about. More and more technology now is incorporating various parts of your home. It'll tur- lo- turn lights on and off if you have the right uh, equipment to do that. Yeah. It will tell you what's in your refrigerator. It will tell you you're out of milk. What does All it What does it tell you that's in your refrigerator? Does it say that it's got you've got the broccoli you cooked two weeks ago is still there? Is it, that what it says? It, it may. I'm not sure. But <laughs> because it will tell I don't you. have a talking fridge, but it sounds no, not fascinating. Yet. They're coming. Though. Please get. I want one for my husband so that he will not cook and feed me the broccoli that we Ooh. cooked two to three weeks ago. Yeah. And he found in the back. Oh. It never tastes right. Well, yeah, you're not supposed to eat stuff that old. No. 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 Not supposed but to. But Ernie isn't at that point yet. But whatever is in there that you don't want somebody to find because you forgot cook. about it, he will find and feed it to you. That's why you. I've never invited you to my house for dinner. It's just too oh, risky. funny. It's too risky. Now, <laughs> if you want to move on for just a moment, we've got a couple of moments left. If you are planning for your parents to move in... What do you need to know other than don't do it? Well, well, you know, this is we're getting towards the end of the year, and maybe we should talk about this at the first of the year. But this might be a time after the holidays. If you haven't seen an older loved one, maybe you're not a caregiver yet, but you're thinking, you know, after you see them, sometimes people are startled by the decline in an older relative. And the holidays is when you see them and you think, I'm going to have that person move in with me. Right. Which may or may not be a good decision. So if you get during the holiday period, you're looking at someone who's getting older and more frail and you're thinking, let's just have them move in. You know, one thing you got to look at is the relationship. Because if you don't have a good relationship and the reason you haven't seen them very often this past year is because you don't really like them, having them move in is probably not a good idea. Because it doesn't Because get somebody better. who's old and frail is not going to give them a personality transplant and help your relationship. So 
if you don't have a good relationship, please, please do not invite them to come in. Um, finances. Nothing separates families faster than finances. So they're moving in. Are they going to help pay the bills? Are they going to help offset some of the costs of having a different person in the house? You want to talk about that. Living arrangements. Is, does, is there a space that's off limits? Is it a house behind the house? I mean, you want to establish some ground rules. Um, does grandma get to go up and play in the son's bedroom and take out his toys if she's got dementia? Is he going to be okay with that? Or um, wander through every drawer or, or in your bedroom. Or wander through every drawer. Yeah, pull all, all that out. Um, is you, Are you going to have to have help come into the home? Are you okay with having outside help come into the home? Are they okay because they're thinking, when I move in, you're going to take care of me. And instead, you're going to pay someone. And who, right. Who's going to pay for the help? Right. And then division of duties because, again, somebody may want to be helping out with some of the chores. And you're going to talk about that and decide what they can do. Lots of stuff to think about. We talk in just a moment with Dr. Ashley Blackman, a podiatrist, right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, speaking of your feet, we've got an opportunity to learn everything we need to know about feet for both caregiver and care recipient. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. And we are joined by Dr. Ashley Blackman. I didn't know your middle name was Michelle. Yes, sir. Sure okay. is. Ashley Michelle she Blackman. Didn't, but she didn't want anyone to know that. Thank oh, you, Ron. I blew the cover, <laughs> right? Because that'd be a great professional name, Dr. Ashley Michelle. Uh, I suppose That's your so. stage name. Yeah. yeah I guess that would be. work. Mm-hmm. Playing the role of podiatrist today. She's a <laughs> podiatry specialist at San Antonio, in San Antonio, with specialists in health. Graduated with honors from Dr. William M. Scholl College of Podiatric Medicine in 2011. More than seven years of diverse experience in podiatry. And Dr. Blackman can be found at many of the, why am I ringing an alarm? At many of the Wellman Clinics. Good to see you. Good to be back. Thank you. And Carol Zerniel, introduce you to uh, Dr. Blackman. Yes, Dr. Blackman. Thank you for joining us. We, um, you know, I I'm really appreciate your coming in because I know how much in demand that you are. And we really don't get the opportunity to talk that often about really practical advice. And I think that that's what Ron really appreciated um, about his visit with you was, you know, all of us really need to know something about taking care of our feet. We here at the radio studio know someone who didn't know he was diabetic, had a minor foot injury that ended up not going very with well. An with an amputation. an amputation, actually. Um, and something small can become something not so small. And we've had a, a dentist on who specializes in treating uh, seniors, including Alzheimer's patients. And it's something that caregivers probably, in general, don't think enough about, which is the feet of their care recipient. That's right. It's something small, but it makes a big difference. So what do you find in your client population seeing Medicare-eligible seniors? Do you get many caregivers who come in with patients? 
Um, I get a, I get a mix. Yeah. I do see a lot of caregivers. Um, my practice is primarily geriatric population. Um, and so that kind of comes with it. Well, what is it that the geriatric population may not do as well as maybe they used to? Right. So as we age, we're not as flexible. Our eyesight's not as as good either. Um, And so we're limited with um, even just reaching our feet. So hygiene can be a problem, as can nail care. Um, People also tend to walk barefoot a lot around their residences. Why are you looking at me when you say that? (laughs) (laughs) She said to me, you got to wear socks. You got to wear shoes. (laughs) Um, But even with that, you know, you can run into injuries around the house. And and the not wearing shoes may not be because they prefer to be barefoot, but they may not be able to put on a lot of different shoes. So they could be limited there. I'm sorry. What happens if you don't practice good hygiene? What does, oh, my feet aren't that clean. You know, what happens? Well, aside from some toe jam, seriously, though, people can develop fungal infections, which could lead to skin breakdown and open sores, which we call ulcers as far as medical terminology. And should those become infected, it could lead to some serious consequences. And for folks who are diabetic, and of course in San Antonio, a large number of your patients probably have type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Are there special challenges that they face? Uh, absolutely. Those are primarily related to um, altered sensation. Okay, and, and we get that with the duration of diabetes, but also with how our blood sugars are controlled or uncontrolled. And so if people aren't feeling normally, they can potentially miss things that someone with normal sensation would not. Like what? They could step on something. Sometimes they injure a toe and they don't realize it either. And if the injury or puncture sites are left neglected, it can, again, lead to serious complications. So asking for a friend, if you break your big toe (laughs) by doing something stupid at home, Mm -hmm. my friend taped it to the toe next to it and figured, heck, it'll heal. That's what the doctor would do. Yeah, well, we don't usually tape the big toe to the other ones. <laughs> Sometimes you can tape one of the middle ones together. Oops. Um, what's I have to <laughs> tell my friend. Yeah, what's even more important, though, is getting into a stiff shoe. And oftentimes we're not able to do, I guess, anything surgically, especially if the, the fracture is non-displaced, so the bones are well aligned. Um, but we need to minimize motion there to enable healing in a timely fashion. Well, this is a true story. Just um, literally yesterday, someone came into the office over the weekend, um, had dropped a weight on their toe Mm. in the office, and they were doing what you were saying. They had taped the toe to another toe, um, and they were, like, wearing just their regular shoes. And I was really curious because I, I, having had a two-by-four, actually crush one of my toes Ooh. and I think the weight was heavier and I was in a boot for weeks and I was yeah. re- I loved that boot I really didn't want my I never wanted to wear shoes again after wearing <laughs> the boot <laughs> but so would you recommend I mean if you have a broken toe do you just yeah. wear your shoes and like normal is that no not usually and usually most people have pain and they can't fit into a closed toe shoe so I'm a little surprised by that, and, and maybe I should be. We were just going to, you know, hunker down and tough yeah, it out. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean. Male or a female? It was a he. Was oh, there you are. That's, there's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we always recommend getting it checked out, you know, even if there isn't much else we can do, aside from immobilize you in a boot or a shoe, um, it's usually best to get evaluated. And when you're looking at someone's feet, let's say the caregiver, having Mm -hmm. listened to you here on Mm -hmm. Caregiver SOS on air, says, you know, Dr. Blackman says, I should look at your feet. Yes. What do they look for? 
Um, again, hygiene, any open sores or rashes. Um, also, because we know a lot of our seniors can't do their own nail care, if that's something the caregiver is comfortable with or if it's safe for them to perform, that's also a really wonderful service. Like trimming service. nails. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I know that there are... There are um People that they salons that will not trim an older person's nails. Yes. So everybody thinks that they could just go down to the local nail salon and and have that done. Is there a difference between what you do as a podiatrist and nails? If somebody has really bad, awful nails, do you recommend they go to a nail salon? Hold that thought. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Dr. Ashley Blackman is our very special guest, a podiatrist, and we're talking about is there a difference between Old guy nails and young guy nails. Well, we're talking about salon nails help versus professional nail help. Yeah, so the vast majority of cases I recommend against visiting salons. Um, You know, the biggest concern with salons is uh, cleanliness and sterilization procedures, uh, making sure they're using autoclaved instruments and not... That's what sterilizes. Mm -hmm, Yes, sir. Yes, that's a sterilization process we use. Um, It helps kill uh, bacterial and fungal spores so that we're not spreading infections. Um, But also, you know, if you have really thick fungal nails per se, it's probably not appropriate to go to a nail salon um, just because they may not have the instrumentation to be able to care for you properly. Uh, Also, if you have diabetes, you're usually advised against visiting nail salons just because you're at a higher risk for running into problems. What kind of problems? Um, You know, with diabetes, uh, it's often argued that your immune system is compromised. And so with that, you're more vulnerable to infections. That includes fungal nail infections just as much as bacterial infections. How would somebody know they have a fungal nail infection? What would that look like to the layperson? Yeah, so it it depends. There's (laughs) lots of different organisms that cause the fungal nail infections, but usually we see some type of discoloration. It can be white, yellow, sometimes even brown, uh, different pigments. Um, The nails also tend to become much thicker, and depending on how long you've had the fungus, the nail may be extremely thick or just minimally thickened. Um, There's oftentimes debris as well, kind of flaky stuff that comes out from under the nails, or the nails themselves are very kind of brittle and and break easily. And if you have a fungus and don't treat it, Mm -hmm. it's not life-threatening. No, the fungus is primarily cosmetic. I think there has been some research done that showed an increased correlation of uh, ulcer or sore formation in people with diabetes, but, but otherwise it is cosmetic, yes. But can be treated with over-the-counter preparations. Mm, that's deb- debatable. I'm about asking. You. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. if it's not bad or advanced, then it's definitely worth a try with the over-the-counter remedies. But, you, but there are prescription medications that might work better than over-the-counter? Yes, absolutely. Even those aren't perfect for the very advanced uh, cases of fungus. Now, what led you to decide to uh, specialize in podiatry? That's, see, that's the question I had after listening to the description of all the nails. I was thinking, <laughs> and why, all the caca under the why nails. did she go into podiatry? Right. <laughs> I know, and I wish I had a good answer, but I don't. <laughs> I found out about podiatry during college, and I had the opportunity to shadow a podiatrist, and I really enjoyed working in his practice and observing his interactions with patients. I appreciated that he got to spend time in the operating room, but also develop rapport with people, um, you know, daily again in the office. And he had a fairly nice work-life balance. He was able to um, watch his daughters play soccer and participate in their lives. And that's something that appealed to me as well. That's a good reason never to be a surgeon. 
Right. So we kind of get the best of both worlds, I suppose. And how did you pick where to go uh, for podiatry school? Well, um, based on what I had read, reputations and word of mouth, I chose the school. And the re- residency was also based on uh, resi- um, reputations, but also uh what they specialized in in their programs. Well, are, is there a shortage of podiatrists the way there are shortages in some of the other fields? It's my understanding that there is, yes. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to learn how to clone yourself, too, in addition <laughs> to doing exactly. podiatry. Spread the word. Yes. Now, you mentioned surgery, and, and I know having mm-hmm. uh, interviewed uh, others in your specialty in the past, San Antonio leads the nation in the number of amputations, leg amputations, often due to uh, diabetes. Yes, that's correct. And, you know, as a It's not what you want to be number one in. No, you know, and our job is limb, fa- limb salvage, and so we do the best we can to help preserve people's extremities. Sometimes, unfortunately, that means taking a toe, but if it can save the leg, then we look at it as a positive outcome. So are you the person that makes that decision, or it, does it have to go to a surgeon to make that decision? Oh, no, we can make that decision, but it's teamwork. So are people afraid when you walk in the room? (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's interesting. I I saw a guy today uh, doing a story on a guy who is the uh, nation's leading toilet seat decorator in the country. He's an artist who chose to decorate Which, again, why did he choose that? I I found (laughs) out. You don't want to know. Barney Smith is his name. And in the course of the conversation, he said, uh, I want to show you my legs. He's 97 years old. He said uh, they're both dead, and he, he pulled his pants up uh, about his ankle, and his legs were really deep, deep purple. Mm. Yeah, that could be Venus, um, so not necessarily dead, um, but it could be, you know, arterial, which is an inflow problem as well. He got around w- with a cane, but not well, yeah. not well. And you see those kinds of problems as well? Uh, yes, sir, absolutely. We'll talk more about that right here on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Ashley Blackman and Carol Zerniel, our co-host. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air, where? On 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, thank you for being with us here on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Dr. Ashley Blackman, who is a podiatry specialist with San Antonio Specialists in Health. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here as well. And we're talking about the kind of issues that folks face and the problems they see with their feet and, and ankles and what have you. I'm curious, what do you see the most of? What are the primary issues you see? Oh, geez. Um, Definitely routine care, I guess, would be number one. And that's uh, the nail trimmings and and callus care as well in our diabetic patients. Um, And then as far as non-diabetic patients, I think heel pain would be number two. That's very common as well. So what what are some of the causes of heel pain? Okay. Uh, Common causes of heel pain are inappropriate or incorrect shoe gear, worn shoe gear, barefoot walking, weight gain, or sudden changes in activity level. And can you treat it, or you have to just change the shoes and teach them to walk better in shoes? Well, changing the shoe gear is a treatment, and actually that's the most effective treatment. But there are other things we can do as well. 
What about the people that we see walking around in those super high heels? Is wearing really, really, really high heels your entire life, is that going to lead you into possible problems in later life? Uh, absolutely. It could lead to a number of problems. Arthritis is a, is a big concern, but also trying to cram your toes into a, a little tiny space like that contributes to the formation of deformities, and in particular something called hammer toes where the toes kind of curl up. Um, people don't think about it at the time, but since I see patients who are much older and have already done that for a lifetime, um, we see the consequences. Well, I had the, the privilege of visiting the George Herbert Walker Bush Memorial Library since the president just recently passed away, and he was the ambassador to China. And among the things that he had in his collection were some of the shoes that they used uh, to, to, bind bind, to bind the women's oh, yes. feet um, yeah. in Asia uh, back in the at the turn of the century, and mm-hmm. then they had pictures of what their feet look like mm-hmm. underneath yes. those shoes. So you know, I, I see high heels now, and that's the vision in my head because they almost look like goat feet, you know, or oh, some sort yeah. of like animal feet, wow. a deer or a goat yeah, or something. Yeah, they're completely deformed because they're completely all the toes are all completely grown together, mm-hmm. and those shoes were like I don't know three inches long. I mean, it was incredibly small. Mm -hmm. I guess you don't recommend that either. No, no, definitely not a good idea. What was the concept? To just give women pain? It's, uh, well, it was to make you look, you you were supposed to look more royal Mm because dainty, dainty women with tiny feet Uh um, were absolutely, were sure to be a better lineage than normal big feeted Mm-hmm. Is that big feeted? I don't think I said that right. I think of the, <laughs> the Bigfoot, the, the Sasquatch people. The scene in Cinderella where the stepsisters couldn't get their feet into the glass shoe. Yeah, something like that. Something yes. like that. Yes. But so, I'm just I'm just glad to know that I have not worn the big high heels. I've gone for the less glamorous look my entire life, and now I you know I'm feeling pretty good about that. I think it was a wise choice. Thank yes. You. Thank mm-hmm. you. Absolutely. But try to get some women. Doris would be one. Our mutual friend who's worn high heels, she's in her late 80s now. Well, I have people tell me. I, I, wearing I, high heels all her life. I yes. asked someone recently who was an older woman, and she was wearing the big high heels, and I said, are you really comfortable in those shoes? And she said, well, it hurts if I don't wear them. Well, I think a big thing with that is with the heels, it can cause the Achilles tendon. So it's actually the strongest tendon in your body. It attaches on the back of the heel bone, and it's composed of your calf muscles. But it it contracts. It gets smaller. And so when you go from wearing that heel to trying to put your heel on the floor, it leads to a lot of pain and debility, actually. You're trying to stretch it out again. Yes, basically. And that's, you know, years that you've been... Yeah, up there with just it. on your toes and making mm-hmm. it where the back of your leg. It's like Barbie. Yeah. You know, Barbie's foot never comes down. There and you you're, go. you're stuck looking like Barbie your whole life. Mm-hmm. So when my seven-year-old girl says, Danny, I want to wear high heels, I say. <laughs> uh, with moderation, maybe. <laughs> everything uh, comp- everything in moderation. Yeah. Exactly. And I doubt she'd go for n- never. <laughs> now, yeah. Talk to me about, you mentioned calluses on, yeah. on the feet. Mm-hmm. And some people get, get them on, on the big toe, a big callus. Mm-hmm. Which isn't really painful, but you'd like to make it go away. Um, yeah, I mean, calluses come with uh, risks. Risks, excuse me. Um, it, mostly, it's in our patients who don't have normal sensation. Uh, the way I like to explain a callus. Not having is, normal sensation means. Uh, 
well, it's called neuropathy. You don't feel a pinprick or whatever. There you go. There you go. Um, But having a callus is almost like having a rock that you're walking on all the time. And, And if you walked on a rock every day for a month or even two weeks, don't you suppose it would cause a little bit of injury to the skin? And yes, it, it certainly would. So we try to maintain those calluses or get rid of them if all possible. You file them down? We do. Mm-hmm. We also shave them in the office with a scalpel, which is not something I recommend doing at home. Don't yeah. try this at home. Yeah, right? really. try what, why do you have a scalpel or, at home? Yeah, I did have a patient once bring me an implement that he had purchased on the internet. And um, I said, don't you dare use that. So. For, for Callus removal? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We also have people who use, and I hate to give people ideas, but razors and other, you know, things like that. And it's not safe. It's not clean. And you could really do some serious damage. Yeah. Well, but good for them if they can actually bend over and reach that callus. I guess that's a start, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But if you're already having trouble reaching it, you just yeah. got to swat that with a razor yeah. blade. Yeah, we much not. prefer a, an emery board or nail file or a pumice stone. Much safer. And they'll work. Yes, they will work. And well, will, now, do you do you look at the relationship for people who are having difficulty walking, maybe they need to use a cane like the gentleman that Ron was talking about. Mm-hmm. Do you look at the relationship of of the foot and how well it's working to the rest of the leg. I mean, does that fall into your bailiwick or is that someplace else just like in physical therapy? Um, Yeah, it depends. Um, I would say it's not a large part of my practice. Physical therapy definitely does more of the gait exams. And if patients are having problems with their knees or hips, they're usually already established with an orthopedist. So so the problem is in the knees and the hips. It's not really in the feet usually. Uh, it can go both ways, I guess. Yeah, there's no easy answer to that. Talk to me about corns because my late grandma Tamarkin had <laughs> holes cut in her shoes so that the corn would fit out. It was the only yeah. way she could wear a shoe. Now, this is a lot of years ago. Mm-hmm. So a corn is another word for a callus. And I think the corns you're talking about are probably on the tops of her toes, right. correct? Right, So those particular... And on the side of her The side of as toe, well. Yeah. So those all come from shear and pressure. So, you know, she probably shouldn't have cut holes in her shoes. She, she just needed extra depth shoes, shoes with more room to accommodate those toes. Now, see, don't you feel bad that you, she didn't buy the right shoes and Grandma Tarkin? I think she's long gone now. <laughs> until she's, well, until she's right. long gone. And we're very lucky now that a lot of the shoemakers are catering to, I think, patients with toe deformities and more sensitive skin. Um, there are shoes that have kind of like a knit uh, material that they are made of, and it's much more forgiving. We I've didn't seen, have that in the past. I've seen that there's a, the, you know, if young people, young people, <laughs> as I'm a thousand <laughs> years old, um, wearing those pink knit tennis shoes, mm-hmm. and they look really comfortable yeah. I have to, and fashionable. Right, both. So, I mean, if it's high heels or pink knit tennis shoes, I'm going for the pink knit tennis shoes. I like shoes. that. Yeah, for sure. Now, do you surgically remove corns or calluses? That's something you can do? Uh, no, not usually, only because the cause isn't uh, dermatological. It's usually uh, structural. Okay, so in the, in the case of the toes, sounds like she probably had some hammer toes. So in order to get rid of the corn, aside from removing the offending shoe, you'd have to straighten out the toe. So just cutting out the corn, it would come back. And how would you straighten a toe? Well, there are uh, a few different Short procedures. Short of bending it with your fingers. Yeah, it's, uh, it's usually done surgically in the operating room. 
Yeah. So you're cutting tendons or what are you doing? Uh, sometimes we do cut tendons, yep, as a loan procedure. Other times we have to cut some of the bone out. And then um, sometimes we also have to fuse joints, so combine two of the bones in the toe to keep them straight. Huh. Yeah. Asking for a friend when... when <laughs> You have <laughs> you have a lot of friends. Yeah, I was going to say, you either have a big fan, a lot of relatives, <laughs> or do. a lot of friends. <laughs> so, uh, of the issues that that you face, especially mm-hmm. with folks with diabetes, which my friend does not have. Okay. Uh, the uh, uh, question of sores and open sores, mm-hmm. and getting people to check the bottom of their feet mm-hmm. has to be a real challenge. Because if they don't, yeah. the worst can happen. Yes. Well, I think unless you've known someone that's had a foot complication, you don't really understand the importance or the implications of missing something. And so people oftentimes feel like they don't take me seriously um, because I preach at every visit, you know, check your feet, check your feet. And, and people just don't seem to understand. Until they have a problem. It's like well, out, yeah. out of sight, out of mind. They're or, down there right. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, or if they've known someone that's had a problem, they're usually um, more inclined to check, which is good that they've learned from someone else. And if you have a significant other or a spouse, they could check Mm -hmm. the bottom of your feet. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. I mean, especially if mobility is an issue. Mirrors are also really helpful as well if you can't bend down there or you're not a contortionist anymore. That was one thing. uh, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, who is a woman medical director, does a lot of training. You probably know Robin. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had a patient who gave her a great idea couldn't see the bottom of her feet, couldn't bend and look, didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And she had a handyman put two mirrored tiles into her floor right near her bed. Oh, wow. So she could check it every morning. That's wonderful. Just hang off the bed, look at the tiles. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. So it's something we could retrofit houses. Yeah. That's right. You could be that tile person that does the, the a business podi- opportunity. tile person. <laughs> exactly. Wow, you could be rich. And, and when you... I don't want to be rich. I'm, I'm just happy <laughs> struggling in radio. Oh. When, when you look as an individual at the bottom of your feet, mm-hmm. you're looking for what? Again, main things are any open sores, any calluses, or rashes are the biggest offenders. And the other thing that, uh, asking for another friend, mm-hmm. uh, is planter's wart. Yes. I, I never understood what that is, but I know people who have it. Well, Tony Parker, when he's played for the Spurs for a while, had it. Mm-hmm. Very painful. Every step hurts. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is right. it really a wart? Yes, it is. It is a type of wart located on the bottom of the foot. And they can be kind of difficult to treat, but they are very painful. So, And where did they come from? It's a virus. Like right? an auto, is it like autoimmune? Is it like a virus? Or, I'm just I'm like totally winging that question because no. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I mean, it's just a type of virus. Because they just like show the up all of a sudden. Yeah, because right. words just show up. Mm-hmm. So like locker rooms, you know, that's where we oh, easily Oh, so you can pick it up from someplace. Yeah. Oh, okay. So maybe that's where Tony Parker got it. And, and how do you treat it? Well, I treat it topically, and there are a number of ways to do that. Sometimes a dermatologist will see patients for plantar warts or other warts as well, and there are medications, um, oral medications, I think, that they sometimes will try. Because if you put something on the bottom of your foot, every Mm -hmm. time you walk, it rubs off. Well, believe it or not, a lot of times we have patients secure the products with duct tape for the plantar warts. Duct tape. There yeah. you go. Uh-huh. I bet Tony Parker used duct tape. <laughs> well, there's a lot of tuck, duct tape in a gym, I would think. Yeah, well, so you wrap, you put, you're not recommending this as a treatment? Well, I would get I checked out first. I don't want to put you in first. a box here. Yeah, um, because one of the treatments, home remedies, actually is a salicylic acid. And, and that, you have to be very careful with. It could lead to 
sores or other complications. So do it under the um, direction of your medical provider. Yeah. So, Ron, have you run out of people that had bad feet? Oh, I could go on forever (laughs) with with friends who have bad feet. We've got about a minute left. Mm -hmm. Uh, The best advice you can give to a caregiver, uh, both for their own feet and for their care recipient, uh, both of whom are 60, 70, 80 years old. Sure. Main thing is just not to walk barefoot around the home and check your feet every day. That'll go a long way. And walking barefoot is really a no-no. Right. You can injure a toe or you could step on something. And and even if you have normal sensation, you feel sharp things, um, you know, once you step on that tack or nail, you know, then you have to deal with that. And you could have an infection. That's right. And then you can never remember when your last tetanus shot was. Right. And <laughs> yes. those tetanus shots hurt. Yeah, they do hurt. That's enough reason to start wearing right, shoes. Right, I'm going to wear shoes now just thinking about that. Wow. Hey, thanks for coming in. If folks want to get a hold of you, are they, you ref, they, their primary care physician refers to you? That's right. Yep. Well, Ashley Blackman, thank health. you. Dr. Blackman, a podiatrist, we appreciate you coming on. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, once again, at the end of each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we go to Take 10, an opportunity to kick around a topic of interest to caregivers and their families. And we're joined on the Caregiver SOS on-air hotline by Dr. Jamie Heisman. He's calling us in from Florida, a nationally known psychologist, psychotherapist, there you are, I'll get it straight, as well as an expert on caregiving and addictions. And Carol Zerniel, our co-host, I'm Ron Aaron. You've got a seasonal topic as we did last week. Well, one of the terms that you hear about this time of year is holiday blues. And so what does that mean, Jamie? Holiday blues, that's the wrong color. It does. And when we think of blues, we're thinking of depression. And, and well, we should, really, unfortunately, because Thanksgiving and through New Year's, it's supposed to be a happy time for us. We're supposed to be with friends and family and our neighbors and celebrating. But for so many people, this time of year turns out to be like sadness. And, and, and instead of love, sometimes we're feeling anger and resentment. I and mean, the well, really, the demands of the holidays, they come upon us, and, and they're huge. And when we add that to our normal caregiving sort of issues and, and, our, and if we're a senior dealing with a lot of stuff, um, it just gets added on to the foundation. And we start seeing our, our sleep and our, our nutrition suffer. And, 
and it, it, everything starts kind of going downhill. And that's what I see the holiday blues are about. Well, yeah, it's that. Yeah, I think we we have mentioned. I think the last show we were talking about expectations, um, and so you know, I, it's kind of two sided. One is our expectations not being met, or knowing they're not going to be met this holiday because something's different. Or just that whole thought of something, you know, somebody's sick this year or somebody passed away this year. Um, you know, a lot of times the caregiver is living in a different situation this holiday than they were last holiday. Um, and thing, it, it doesn't, you just don't feel like it's time to celebrate. No. I mean, the holiday season is, is about, unfortunately, triggers. And that's what we have to be very mindful of, of the things that trigger us. And what you say, Carol, is spot on. All of a sudden, the holidays are those, occur and they accentuate any loss and any grief issue, anything that's happened in this past year. I mean, if we're not celebrating with a loved one who we want celebrated with or in the manner we want celebrated with, I mean, it triggers uh, a depression. And if you're genetically predisposed or you already have depression, uh, it's going to trigger an episode for sure. Well, how would we recognize if somebody was suffering from holiday blues? You know, I think it's pretty similar to the way we recognize depression in a lot of ways. I mean, if you have an irritable mood, you're feeling worthless, you're feeling like low self-esteem, uh, your sleep is feeling kind of different than, than normal. And I know we as boomers and seniors have already sleep challenges. Um, but if you're starting to feel, you know, helpless and hopeless it's, and, and have an unreasonable amount, I think, of anxiety, then I think you can safely say uh, you're probably suffering from holiday blues and, and it's time to take preemptive steps here. Well, you mentioned preemptive steps. Knowing this may happen every year, are there things you can do as we approach the holidays to preempt those holiday blues year after year? Well, you know, we can't say it enough, and I know we say it often, but let's face it, you have to have something in the bank if you're going to go draw on reserves during the holidays. And that means you have to have your mind and your body and your spirit all kind of, you know, in a good spot. You can't wait for the holidays to be the intervention, the episode that all of a sudden says, hey, I need to take care of myself. Because if it's not there when we need it, Ron, to your point, um, it's it. It's not there. You're bankrupt. So so what does that look like? Um, yeah, how, how do you fill how, the tank? Yeah, where, 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 where do you make the deposit? <laughs> well, let's take it as a three-legged stool, which it is. If it's your, your body and your health, make sure you go to your primary care physician long before the holidays. And you make sure you get your lab work done and, and if you're doing okay and that you don't need to, you know, be concerned about certain things that are happening in your own uh, health care, if you will, especially if you're taking care of loved ones. I mean, let's face it, caregivers usually kind of replace their health with their loved ones and, and forget about it. So make sure your medical health is okay. Psychologically, it's exactly the same thing we talk about, you know, every week. Stay connected. Have yourself a self-help group. Make sure you find a therapist, if you will, or a safe place that you can actually talk about sadness or sleep issues or anxiety. And uh, spirit, spirit is up to our all, you know, our own interpretations. All paths lead to the righteous. But to me, spirit is about connecting in this world, self-expression, making sure you have a de-stressor in your life to deal with anxiety. So if you don't have those three-legged stools ready before the holidays, then, you know, the blues may be inevitable. 
Now, if you've just joined us, we're talking about Holiday Blues, part of Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. Well, when we talked um, last week on the show about, you know, kind of getting ready for the holidays as a caregiver, you mentioned forming new traditions. So is one way to deal with the holiday blues, could that also help if maybe you don't um, do what you always do every single year or maybe do something that's not necessarily holiday-ish? I know some people will um, kind of get away from all of the holiday stuff that's going on. I agree. I mean, give yourself a gift. I mean, do something that you feel intuitively is what you need to do for yourself. If you want to find joy in, in, in let's say, avoiding the holidays, whatever you go do it. I mean, go enjoy what you need to do. I think the most important thing that we can take away about the holiday blues is whatever you do, don't do it by yourself. I mean, loneliness is a huge trigger for holiday blues. It, it magnifies everything. And, and isolation does absolutely nothing to, to encourage our mind, our body, and our spirit. But I love the fact that you're talking about what we talked about last week, which is to take you know, new traditions and, and talk about it, if you will. Change things up. But when you're doing it, make sure you're doing it with others. That's the most important issue. Well, and, you know, I think about, um, you know, this past year, uh, Ron was kind enough to invite us to his house for a Seder, which I had never participated in. And so this time of year, there are there are people with different traditions than the traditional Christmas traditions. And, and that might be something that, to go and visit with folks who are, you know, not celebrating traditional Christmas, talking to them about some of their traditions, or, or maybe even asking uh, that to get hooked up with someone uh, that can help you experience something else besides Christmas. Find a Hanukkah party. Find a Hanukkah party. Play with yeah, the dreidel. You must have been the youngest one. I, I bet you asked the four questions, Carol, because you probably were the youngest one at the table. She's talking about the four <laughs> questions <laughs> at Passover, right? Well, I was I was following a very a very well prepared script, is what I was doing. I it did was have scripting. I had one of the questions, <laughs> I believe. I didn't get yeah. all four. No, she had one. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, to your point, though, go to your point, yes, go find other traditions. But what a great idea that you just brought up. Go volunteer. I mean, even those who are celebrating Christmas in traditional ways, uh, those less fortunate, there's places to go to, to really feel the sense of gratitude to come out of yourself, to connect with others, and, and, to, and to really, you know, pay it forward. Well, for example, here in San Antonio, uh, we do some work, uh, my wife does, with Roy Moss Youth Alternatives, which has emergency shelters for Texas kids in crisis. And for them, the holidays are an awful time because that's when at their homes there was often fighting and trauma and all kinds of difficulty. So at Roy Moss, they try to make the holidays special for those kids, and they're always looking for volunteers. Just one example. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's great. And make sure that you, well, you can't say it enough, right? Drink responsibly, because obviously drinking is a, is a huge trigger for holiday blues. Yes. We and tend to, you know, go overboard, and the, and the next day is not the only next day. It's like the next week. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that actually alcohol is a, you know, depressant. Um, it may make you feel better temporarily, but it's in the, the long run is, is actually the opposite effect. Jamie, you get the last thought, holiday blues. What's the magic bullet? Well, there's nothing wrong with not feeling 
jolly, okay? Let's tell, tell ourselves that. I mean, holiday blues can be natural. It does happen to us. But be proactive. Be very kind to yourself. You know, seek support. Find a, a group that, 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 that you feel connected to. And, and don't take it, you know, too seriously. Laugh, if you will, at things every now and then. That's perfect. I like that. Very good. Thank you, Jamie. We appreciate it. Take care. You bet. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Take 10, part of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.